Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, glory to God. So glad to be each of you here and welcome to the house of the Lord. And I am glad to be here with my favorite people in all the world, my family and my friends. And to you, our cyber cousins, uh, we welcome you and so glad that you're always joining in. And for those I know that aren't feeling well, we love you and hope you get feeling better. And for those of you that might be just uh, checking things out, uh, we want you to know we love you and uh, we are so grateful for that you tuned in today. Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to chapter 6 of Matthew. God does not want us to be worry warts. Today's message is on the subject of worry. Now, I know that doesn't apply to anybody here in this room, but maybe you can get the message and give it to somebody else. But the truth is, each one of us know that worry is a very serious problem in all of our lives. Someone once said, the ignorant worry, because they know so little. The educated are concerned because they know too much. Those with less fret and worry because they don't have money. Those who have more fret and worry because they do have assets and are afraid something's going to take them away. Older people worry because they're facing death and health issues. Younger people worry because they have an uncertain future. The fact is, we all just worry. For most adults, some level of worry occupies at least a good portion of the thinking of every person's waking hours. However prevalent worry is, though, it is not risk-free. It takes a severe toll on us. Now, of course, we might imagine it takes a psychological toll, but it also takes a physical and emotional. And, of course, what I'm concerned about for your life and for mine is that it takes serious spiritual side effects. Now, let me just clarify up front here what we're not referring to. I am not referring, when I'm saying worry, I'm not talking about a godly concern sort of like Paul had for the churches when he said, I have a care upon me daily for the churches. There's a difference between a godly concern and a worry. Now, I wish all of us could say our worry is godly concern, but for the most part, our worry, I think, is probably not that. And so today, we're going to be speaking about that which is far and away the most common, and that is a distrustful care. Worry is essentially saying to God, I know that you mean well by what you said in Scripture, but I really don't think you can do it for me, or maybe that you will do it for me. You'll help me in my situation. Worry is basically just disregarding, poo-pooing the promises of God. Even a little worry can cast a huge pallor, a huge shadow on everything. I read an interesting nature fact this week, how little moisture really it takes to create a very dense fog. When the conditions are right, a fog that would cover a seven city block area, a hundred feet deep and very little visibility, they said, and listen to this, it only contains actually one glass of water in that amount of area. It's just that it's divided into millions, hundreds of millions of little drops. Not much moisture, but it sure can cripple an entire area. And the same is true with us. One little glass of worry can darken an entire family or marriage or church for weeks or months. And so may God make us agents of 
faith today and not the fog of distrust. And that's our prayer today. Truth of the matter is, many of our worries and fears are just an overactive imagination. There was a man on the side of the road who was hitchhiking. It was a very dark night, uh, stormy, hardly could see a few feet ahead of him. Suddenly he saw a car coming towards him and stopped. As soon as he saw that, he ran up to the car, opened the back door, and jumped in, pulls the door shut. He turns to thank the driver for stopping for him when he realizes nobody is behind the wheel. And then the car starts rolling down the road slowly again. The guy looks ahead. He is absolutely scared to death, and a curve is coming his way. Suddenly, a hand reaches in the window and begins to turn the steering wheel. Paralyzed with fear, he watches how that every time that car came to a curve, a hand would come inside the car window and turn that car. Well, he was so scared when he saw the nearest town, he jumped out of that car, shivering, runs to the cafe, asks for a stiff cup of coffee. He quickly begins to drink that coffee and starts telling everybody about the horrible experience he's just been through. He's sitting there still shaking at the counter. When about a half an hour later, two guys walk into the same cafe. One looks over and says, hey, Bob, there's that guy who got in the car when we were pushing it down the road. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, funny how our imaginations can uh, run away with us. Well, I want you to know something this morning, folks. We don't need to worry. And that hand that's coming in the window, that's God's hand. That's, uh, God's got this for you and for me this morning. And so this morning, let's talk about God's answer for anxious care. Let's bow for a word of prayer, if you would, please. Join me today in asking God to just make us people that are free from worry. Lord, I thank you for these that are here. Thank you for this wonderful weekend, Lord, every Sunday really is Memorial Day for us. But Lord, thank you for those who've given their lives. And Lord, we do just lift up those families in Texas and even back in New York. Lord, what a horrible thing, Lord. And we pray that you'll be with them all, strengthen them during this season. And Lord, be with us today, we pray. And Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Give us, Lord, your wisdom. Cure us from this sin of worry. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's begin. I'm glad to be able to be up here. No Thai summer for me. So um, I have been doing that for years. The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is just that. It is a sermon delivered by our Lord himself. It wasn't just some sort of a story about this. No, he actually was a sermon. It was recorded. God uh, gave it. God, the Holy Spirit, gave rendering of it to Matthew, who recorded it, as well as Luke. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, taking place there in that Galilean hillside, Jesus' main goal was to kind of push the reset button, to take society back to a gold standard. That gold standard really was a God standard. That standard that had so slipped in that day, Jesus brilliantly covered just a wide variety of topics. Obviously, he talked about their faith, religion. He talked about family life. He talked about moral values. And he got very practical. He talked about marriage and divorce and money matters. Then uh, he came to chapter uh, 6 and verse 25 through 32. Now he's going to talk about emotional health about depression, about worry, anxious care. And so we're going to read verses 25 through 32 here this morning. But I want you to take a special note at two verses, verse 25 and 31. Because in those two verses, he says basically the theme of what we're talking about, take no thought or don't worry. So let's read it together, these verses. We're going to be reading out of the King James Version, the they're up there for you, or you can read your own Bible, but uh, let's read it together out loud. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, 
and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Take no thought. He's not saying don't be prudent. He's not saying we shouldn't plan. He's not saying we shouldn't have a healthy and godly concern about things. He's just saying don't be anxious about it. Now, if you were to actually read that little phrase there, take no thought in the Greek lexicon, you would find out that it means simply don't worry. Or if you wanted to be exact about it, it would be stop worrying. Because actually what Jesus was saying, everybody needs to stop right now. Stop worrying. Stop it. Stop worrying. Let's deal with this. Let me give you some reasons why you need to stop it. So we've uh, outlined it here in a way I think that will be helpful to us. Five biblical reasons why you need to stop worrying. Number one, worry is needless. It is absolutely needless to worry. It is a waste of energy, of inner emotional equity. And for God's people, it is just needless. Verse 25, therefore. Now remember, he begins this verse with that word, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you actually have to begin before that verse. Because in order to understand that verse, you have to go back. As we've said before, whenever there's a therefore, there's a before. And so you go back a little bit, and now we remember what the therefore was. You may remember last week in verses 19 through 24, Jesus deals with the subject of our possessions. He begins by saying, uh, treasure is wonderful. I mean, it's a great thing. It's wonderful to have nice stuff, and it's great. Nothing wrong with it. However, don't live for treasure. Don't lay up treasure only on earth, but make sure that you're rich towards God. The actual construction of the original language is, don't treasure treasure. Not wrong to have treasure, just don't treasure treasure. And so he's reminding them that if you're going to do the, this thing the right way, you're going to go through life with Jesus as your master and not money. And you've got to make your choice. You've got to have a single vision. It's either God or money. And specifically, Jesus used the word mammon. It is a Syriac word, which was the God of money. And so he really actually attaches a, a whole spiritual effect to the matter. He said, you know, money really has a spirit to it. And that's why people are so attached to it. It's just, there's this spirit that just comes to it. He said, I want you to go through life with a single eye, kind of put on some glasses. They talk about rose colored glasses. Well, the kind of glasses that we're going to wear as God's people are Jesus colored glasses, meaning I'm going to see everything through a kind of a different filter. I'm going to look at it through the Bible filter. And as I look at it through the Bible filter, I get a different sense. Now we come to verse 25. We come back here. He says, therefore, based on the fact that we've already made Jesus our master, if we've made Jesus our master, if we're not going to treasure treasure, then there's no need to worry. Now, if you haven't made him your master, and if you haven't put him as your single eye, then, yeah, you probably are going to live your life worried. But if you have, then there's no need to worry. Specifically, in verse 25, he says three things. He said, don't worry about what you eat. Of course, that's our food. 
Don't worry about what you drink. That's whatever fluids we take in. And water was a big issue back then, as it even is today. And then he said, yet for your body, what you put on, that's clothing. And really, I think it's very easy to suggest that not only clothing, he's talking about housing. And so he's reminding us then that the basics of life, our food, our water, our clothing, our housing, God's got this. He's definitely going to take care of us. It's needless to worry about it. Now, to this point, many Americans don't worry a lot about food. Now, if we live in certain drier areas of America, like out here in the West, we uh, are more concerned about water, but uh, we usually not for drinking. We usually imagine that we'll certainly have that. And for those, uh, however, uh, it's alarming, <laughs> must admit, there's a lot of shortages that are happening in our country, and it seems so unnecessary because two ends, too often it's at the hands of government mismanaged, and it's tragic that it is that way. But with all of our situation, we still are very blessed here to have water and food and clothing and housing, and however expensive it is, we're, we're grateful for all that. But let's uh, go back to first century Palestine for a moment. They live on the edge of a desert, not a whole lot unlike us. Food shortages was definitely an issue, and water a super big issue. Similar to California, they depended upon snowmelt for their irrigation and for them, their streams, and for all the different places that they had that contained the water. Now, they didn't have all the nice reservoirs that we have around here. Smart people in our state and this western area many years ago uh, made these wonderful reservoirs. And sometimes it's kind of crazy to see people that want to destroy those. But these reservoirs are wonderful because they help give us some water. And so Jesus said, now, if he was telling us, don't worry about food and clothing and water, then we might say, well, I really don't worry a lot about that. I mean, yeah, a little bit. But imagine now, this was a big deal to them. It was a super big deal. And yet God was, he was saying, really don't even give it a second thought. Now, he wasn't saying, don't worry about your crop management. Don't worry about water conservation. He wasn't saying anything about that. He was just saying, go ahead, work like the Dickens. I mean, just work like everything dependent upon you. But ultimately, recognize that the blessings of God, it's all due to if God chooses to give that to us. Go ahead and dig your ditches for the rain, plant your crops, do all you can do, and then trust God to make it happen. Sitting there worrying about the rain is not going to help. Sitting there hoping that your field doesn't just burn up because of how hot it is, is not going to help. There's so much more important things you can do with your energies. You can pray, you can worship, you can trust in God. There's so much more you can do than just sitting there worrying. And that's what he says in the second part of that verse. Is not the life, meaning the mind, the mindset, more than meat, more than food? I mean, really, is food such a big thing that it's something we have to be consumed about all day long? And the body, the physical, raiment. Friends, we can worry or we can worship. That's what Jesus was saying enough. He was saying, don't spend all your day worrying when you could spend time with the Lord. Strangely enough, most humans find it easier to worry than to worship. And yet worship can cure in a few minutes what months of worry just take out of us. A man went to a psychiatrist. He was so worried. He was worried about everything. But he had one specific worry. Every time he said, I get into the bed, I'm convinced somebody is under my bed. The psychiatrist listened to him and said, I can help with that. But it will mean one session a week for a year. And it'll be $150 each visit. The man, he wasn't into that, so he never returned. When the psychiatrist met him in the street, he asked, why didn't you come back? He said, oh, I had a friend, told me something, cured it for nothing. He said, well, how did he do that? 
He just simply told me to cut the legs off of my bed. <laughs> and that cured everything. Well, here's what I'm saying this morning. You know what? If we'll cut the legs off of worry, everything's solved. Worship. Don't spend our time worrying. Jesus said it is absolutely needless to worship or to worry when you can worship. Spend your time with God. Don't spend time worrying about things that you have no control over. Worry is needless. Number two, worry is senseless. Verse 26. It is absolutely unnecessary, just totally senseless. Look at verse 26. Behold the vows of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father, and this is really the key to that verse, the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Why should you worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear? Because you have a heavenly Father. It is not only needless to worry, it is senseless to worry. Why? Because of who your Father is. Now those of you who know me, you know that God gave us nine children growing up. And then the Lord allowed us to have a blended family, Pauline and I here. But I can tell you with this uh, tribe of sons and daughters uh, in my home, as far as I know, they never worried one time whether they had water or one time whether they had food or one time whether they had clothes. Now they might have muttered a few times at the pot of pinto beans three times in the same week <laughs> and they caused a little stink over that. But uh, or they might have grumbled a little when I made gravy uh, after precious Lynette uh, went to the, be with the Lord. Uh, I was uh, thinking that I could make some hamburger gravy for the girls. And so I, I can do it. And so I uh, launched into it. I don't really know to this day what I did wrong, but I will tell you that what I created was uneatable. It looked like a big old giant blob of melted biscuits and slime. I don't know what it was, but it was terrible. Now, I must admit, they, they might have complained a little at my, at my gravy and the pinto beans. I never worried about the water or the food and clothes they always had. Especially Abigail, the baby. She always had food. Uh, eight older brothers and sisters. She had all kinds of clothes she could wear, didn't even want to wear. <laughs> and uh, they may have been a little big for her, but uh, she had all the, the clothing that she could ever want. Now, if that's true for my children, and I am nowhere near as faithful a father as Father God, then how much more should we ever doubt our God? Notice then Jesus says in this verse, he says, Behold, behold, probably at that very moment, God the Father had a bird fly by, and Jesus looked at that and said, look at that bird, behold that bird, look at that bird, he said. Do you realize that that bird has no food strategy, has no water strategy, has no clothing strategy? He has never watched Marie Kondo. I know you ladies know who that is. And he has never done any of that. And yet he lives and God takes care of him. Now, what is it that God puts into every animal? God puts things that we humans have called instincts. Now, scientists call it instincts, but God calls it crying out to God. Crying out to God is God's uh, means of taking care of the animals. God doesn't just create life and then say they're on their own. No animal is on their own. God is both creator and sustainer. Look at with me for a few moments at Psalm 147. Psalm 147 is one of the last five psalms in the wonderful songbook of the Old Testament, Psalms. The last five psalms are known as praise psalms, appropriately so, because they, each one begins with the word hallelujah, and they all end with the word hallelujah. 
Each one has its own topic of praise. This particular psalm includes in it topics of praise about food and water and clothing. And so let's look at verse 8. Who covereth the heaven with the clouds, and prepareth rain, water, fluids, for the earth, who maketh grass to grow on the mountains. Nobody plants that. Nobody makes that. God does that. Verse 9. He giveth the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. The young ravens actually just birds. God says God feeds all the birds in the world. Now that's a lot of birds, I must admit. That's a lot of beaks to feed. <laughs> now, how many birds are there in the world? Well, two scientists uh, about 10 years ago or so decided to figure out how many birds there might be in this world. And so uh, they figured out that there was about 10,000 species. And so it was their estimation. Of course, it's changing constantly. But they said in their estimation is between 300 and 400 billion birds. That's a lot of birds. And I will tell you, God has instilled a food acquisition process known as instinct. Here in this verse, it says, they cry out to God. And so the bird squeaks. Every time the bird squeaks, that's God's uh, trigger to make sure that they get some food. Now, God can take care of 400 billion birds who simply get fed because of crying out to God then how much more would God do that for his own children? You'll notice the statement there, are you not much better than birds? Now, of course, animal rights activists would not like that. But it's true. These animal rights activists are known as speciesists. They believe that all species are equal and humans are just another species. And they would certainly cancel Jesus over that statement that we are better than the animals. But humans are better than the animals, much better. Now, this is no uh, excuse for ever mistreating an animal. Rather, just a reminder that animals have an instinct from God. It's God-given, and God just gives them food. Now, a bird, I will say this about a bird, birds actually work harder than many humans do. No bird ever just sits around, other than the baby ones in the nest, but no bird ever just sits around waiting for food. They all are out there searching, grubbing, looking for things, bugs, and whatever else they eat. And I, But that's what they, they're always out there working, and God provides for them. God is saying we should be that same way. Now, what you don't see about a bird is no bird has ever said, boy, if I could have a 10-bedroom nest, oh my goodness. If I could go to the store and get fine, exotic worms, oh, that would be wonderful. Or you've never heard a bird say, eat, drink, and be merry. More nectar today and more nectar tomorrow. That's never the way they are. Now, birds are nice. I, I like most birds. Uh, me and Canadian geese have had some history. I'm not a real fan of Canadian geese, I must admit. But birds um, are nice. But as nice as birds are, I can tell you, not one bird has ever been made in the image of God. But humans have been made in the image of God. They never worry, so certainly I should never worry because I have a heavenly father. Most modern Americans are experts at worry. Scripture says we should worship God love people, and use things. Sadly, most Americans love things, use people, and ignore God. And then we wonder why we're in such a condition after so much worry. It is senseless. I think a poet captured it wonderful when he said, when the birds begin to worry and the lilies toil and spin and God's creatures are all anxious, then... I also may begin. For my father sets their table, decks them out in garments fine, and if he supplies their living, will he not provide for mine? Just as noisy common sparrows can be found most anywhere, unto some just worthless creatures, if they perish, who would care? Yet our heavenly father numbers every creature, great and small, caring for even the sparrows, making and marking when to earth they fall. There's no need for worry. It is senseless. We have a heavenly father. 
the old colorful evangelist Vance Havner said, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. It is senseless because we have a heavenly father. It is not only who he is as a title, but his very name means provider. Chronic worry is something that is tragic. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic said, and I quote, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I never met a man who, would, who died of overwork, but I have certainly known many who have died from worry. It is chronic. It is senseless. It is certainly not harmless. It is not only needless and senseless, but worry is also useless. Look at verses 27 through 29. You can worry yourself to death, but you cannot worry yourself alive. Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Now God's going to use a different story. He said, I don't want you to worry about the length of your life. A cubit, one cubit unto his stature. A cubit is like from the tip of the elbow to the tip of the fingers there, about 18 inches. Now the word statue there is an interesting word. It is the Greek word halikia, and it actually is sometimes translated as span of life. In fact, most often as span of life. For example, in John chapter 9, verse 21, during the earthly three and a half years earthly ministry of our Lord, he came across a man who had a congenital sight impairment, blind, as we might say. He, uh, Jesus healed him. It was amazing. It was thrilling. And his parents were asked about it. And in John chapter 9 and verse 21, they said, you should ask him, he is of Halikia. He is of age. And so really what Jesus is saying here then, back to chapter 6 of Matthew, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? It is the word age. Who can add to his future or the span of his life is what he's saying. In fact, worry certainly doesn't lengthen our life. If anything, it shortens our life. And we live in a day when people are in a mad panic to lengthen their lives. It's crazy. A couple of weeks ago on our way to church, Pauline and I are on our way to church, and an older gentleman was there on his little road uh, bicycle. He had his tight little biker shorts on. And let me just say, that old guy wearing a biker shorts, that's a sin. Um, it's not a sin against God, maybe, but it was a sin against my eyes, I will tell you for sure. But uh, he had his logo shirt on. He had his helmet on. He was a terrible driver. He almost killed him. But... Uh, now, I will say, he imagined his mind and getting all the little get-up on and heading out east. He had the idea that was going to really help him have a better life, a longer life, I'm sure. He would have much been better served. He had just turned around, come on down to the church house and sat in church and listened to the Word of God. Because, folks, all these kind of steps to lengthen our life, they don't work. You know that, right? You got that. Nothing you do physically will lengthen your life. It doesn't work that way. Now, the Bible is clear that we can lengthen our life. But not one time in Scripture does God say it's because of the amount of kale you eat or the amount of pills you take. In fact, there's about a dozen different things in Scripture that God says you can study it on your own. I'll give you a few of them. You know a couple of them. Honor your parents, right? God says your days will be long. Another one in Proverbs says, keep God's commandments and it'll lengthen your life. Another one says, if you'll be just. Another one says to have wisdom. Another one says to just live righteously. There's about a dozen different things in scripture that God says actually adds to your days. But not one scripture ever says that we can make God change the length of our life by us exercising on a bicycle. In fact, if anything, God made it very clear that no human can affect God's plan. Paul on the Mars Hill in Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, told all those people there. He said, I don't know what you're thinking, 
But he said, God has determined the appointed times and boundaries. God designed that. Folks, you are kidding yourself if you are imagining that you are going to force God's hand to make you live longer because of what you eat or because of what you do. Now, that being said, I'm not saying it's not important to eat well. I'm not saying it's not important to exercise. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, it is very important because the quality of life that I live for the Lord is important. And that is something that's very good. But as far as forcing God's hand to add another day to our life because we eat more vegetables, folks, it doesn't work that way. People are living worried. And I mean, they spend all their life worried about how long they're going to live. And God determines that. And he determines it for his own purposes. God will take very godly people like a Jim Elliot, and he'll go to the Lord early in his life. Lynette, as I mentioned earlier, really died at a very uh, early age, and yet a very wonderful, godly woman. Yet we have other people who are very godly who live into their 90s, and like Billy Graham and others. So they both are godly, both honored their parents, and yet, and lived, I'm sure, healthy lives. And yet God determines the amount of time. Healthy people die. Sick people die. It really doesn't make any difference. The fact of the matter is, God gave us our time. And he's trying to say here, worrying about it just does not do anything. And that's what we told people during this whole supposed pandemic thing. That's like, folks, I mean, really, if you imagine somehow you're going to force God and you're not going to die because you don't do this or you do this, well, it doesn't work that way. God, God is the one that determines it. Verse 28, and why take he thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Now, apparently, they must have had a problem with the overblown fashion industry back then like we do today. But you know what? You can only wonder as you walk through some of the malls or see the stores or especially when you go online anymore. I mean, it's just incredible the amount of things that you can buy. Amazon, the world's largest online retailer, sells more than 12 million products. And if you expand Amazon to the marketplace, what they call it, which are different sellers, it's more than 350 million products, which makes it strange to me because I still can't find certain things I want. But anyway, well, you can find anything on Amazon. You can even get finger covers for your cheesy food. And uh, there you go. Order it today. You can get anything on Amazon. Peter said and told the first century Christians, he said, and he told 21st century men and women, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, he said, who's adorning? And by the way, please adorn yourself. <laughs> it says the putting on of apparel. God's not saying don't put on apparel. Amen. <laughs> please. Who's adorning? It's good. Just let it not be the plating of hair. Bless God, that's why I'm your pastor. I'm not plating my hair. But anyway, and, uh, but it's not the wearing of gold, not that it's wrong, or the putting on of the apparel, not that it's wrong. The key is about anything is where's the heart? When you're wearing your clothing, when you're wearing your jewelry, where's the heart? Who are you trying to please? What's the purpose behind all of that? Jesus said, What's the deal, everybody? Why are you so worried about cloth from Egypt or about jewels from Africa? Or why are you so worried about spices from the Middle East? What's the deal? Why, why are you so rushing mad after the fashion industry? He said, you spend all of your time on the outside. Don't even worry about the inside. And then he said, look at this lily. I'm sure about that time Jesus leaned over and picked a little poppy. The word lily there is just a word for any a wildflower. And so he looked at them and he said, now look at this. Look at the classic styling of this beautiful flower. Look at the color matching. Simple, beautiful, glorious. The, nothing, you know, outlandish, just classic. And that's what he was saying here. He was saying, now look, folks. He said, you don't have to have a certain kind of clothing to be spiritual. 
Now, it doesn't, if you wear Gucci, doesn't mean you're unspiritual. It's just saying, really, the fact of the matter is that um, whatever you wear, just wear it to glorify God. Glorify God. Now, I don't think we should especially try to look tacky or grungy, and I think that actually would be a distraction to the kingdom of God. I want to, whatever we wear, I just want to be an asset to the message of Jesus. That's all. I'm not, I don't want to be so outlandish and doing stuff to my body and wearing all kinds of weird stuff that it distracts from the message of God. Now, if that is the case, that doesn't mean you're unspiritual or somehow that God can't use you. The point of the matter is, is that all the money, all the effort, all the fashion, it really doesn't really, when all is said and done, look at verse 29, when all is said and done, even Solomon, who was the richest man that has ever lived, they say that if you took, some, I read somewhere that if you took his um, uh, net worth, it, this was a few years ago, by the way, that would probably be in some area between three and four hundred billion dollars. He was the first billionaire. Today's money would probably be way more than that. But the fact of the matter is, going for the extreme stylings, he said it's really, there's no purpose behind it. In fact, today we have people so lustful for styles that in some cultures they actually kill each other over designer shoes. My folks, my friend, it is senseless. It is useless to do that. And then number four, worry is also faithless. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. If God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Ah, that's the issue. We're talking about faith now. Now, you might think it's food and water and clothing and shelter, and these are, you know, the key areas of life, and these are worth of being uh, concerned about. Jesus said, don't even give it a second thought. I mean, work your hardest, do your best, and then watch God take care of you. Because he said, it's all going to be cast into the oven someday. Now, he's talking about a future judgment, but he's also making a very, uh, a very local illustration there. You take the grass and they cut it and they throw it into their oven. That's how they would have their ovens, a kind of a brick oven. And so it's all so temporary. And if you ever burnt grass or little sticks, you know, it's consumed in minutes. Oh, ye of little faith. Now we see where the issue is. It is little faith that we are displaying. Now this little phrase, oh, ye of little faith. It is used four other times in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus was talking to people who were worried about their clothing. And he said, why are you so worried, O ye of little faith? In Matthew chapter 8, the disciples were upset. and They were wondering if they were going to drown. And Jesus said, O ye of little faith. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus, Peter, was afraid of losing his life in a storm. And Jesus said, no, don't worry about that. In Matthew 16, they were also worried about their food. And in each case, Jesus told them, you are, you are not having faith, friend. Someone once said that worry is a warning light, that God is not first in your life at this moment. Worry is a warning light that God is not first. Every time you see the word, the phrase little faith in the New Testament, it's always about food, clothing, and drink. Food, clothing, and drink. It's crazy. And we haven't really learned much in 2,000 years since Christ. The human mind is so strange. We have no problem believing that God can redeem our eternal soul. He can take us out of the pit of hell and take us to heaven someday. He can take away every sin we've ever committed and yet have a hard time believing he can put food on my table. How crazy we are. We are just, it's so, it's so amazingly just silly. And it strikes really a blow at the very word and the person of Christ. It is saying really essentially God won't or God can't take care of me. And I've got to do this thing myself. I've got to put food on my table. 
I've got to make sure my family has clothes. I've got to make sure. It's up to me. Now, this is not saying we shouldn't work hard. It's just saying it is really not up to you or I. It is God. And that attitude, my friend, makes God a liar. That's an attitude of little faith. It is faithless. And it's so senseless and useless. As someone once said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. But it sure empties today of its strength. And then finally this morning, not only is worry needless and senseless and useless and faithless, and that's the big issue, it really is without excuse. There is no excuse for any of us as a born-again believer having any sort of faith issue. Look at verse 31 and verse 32. Take no thought then, saying, what shall we eat or drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? And then Jesus lays it on the line. And I love the way Jesus presents this. Master speaker and communicator of spiritual truths. He starts kind of slow and kind of eases into it. And then he drops the hammer. He said, you want to know the facts? Well, let me just give it to you straight now. When you are worried about your food, about your clothing, about the, what you drink, about your housing, when you're worried about that, frankly, you are no different than a pagan. Or as he says here, Gentile. Look at verse 32. All these things do the Gentiles seek. The word Gentile is just a, a word for a heathen, a pagan, a, someone who doesn't have God in their life, doesn't really believe the Bible or believe in God. Jesus is simply saying, look, your father, your heavenly father, the one who has given Christ to you and shed his blood for you, knows you have that need. When we are willingly ignorant of our heavenly father's supply, he said, we, it is an excuseless thing and an attitude. He said, for all these things, the Gentiles seek by the way, that word seek there doesn't just mean they use it, food, or like it. It means that's the goal of their life. They seek it. It's emphatic. They, that's what they run for. That's what they live for. That's what they, another, another meal, another drink, another, another clothing, another house. I mean, they just like, that's what life's all about. We're going to get it more and more and more. Eat, drink, be happy. Eat, drink, be happy. Do I face life like a heathen or do I face life like a Christian? Is my faith saying, you know what, I trust my Heavenly Father to take care of those things? I want to seek spiritual things. I'm glad that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means the things that He's been doing all along, taking care of God's people, He'll still do in the future. So if you have a question about your future, just look to the past. Has God taken care of you so far? Yes, he has. If he has sustained you in the past, he will in the future. Worry is incompatible because we have a father. Worry is incompatible because we have faith in that father. And worry is incompatible because with Jesus, we have a wonderful future, a father a faith, and a future. It doesn't get any better than that. That's why God said there is no reason to worry. Christian author John Stott said something. I love it. He said to become, become preoccupied with material things in a way that engrosses our attention, absorbs our energy, and burdens with us anxiety is incompatible with the Christian faith and, frankly, with common sense. It is distrustful of our Father, and he said, really, it is stupid. <laughs> I love it. It's just stupid. Why would we ever worry about anything so silly when God will feed the birds, and we are so much more important to him than the birds? Folks, God didn't, as a heavenly Father, just birth us and dump us on a doorstep somewhere. He loves us. And you can trust your future to him. 
A man turned to his outspoken Christian doctor. He was getting ready to leave the examination room and he said to the doctor, honestly, doc, I'm afraid. And I'm afraid really of the future and I'm afraid what lies on the other side. Very, he asked the doctor, he said, can you give me any sense of this? Do you have any light you'd like, you can shed on this? The doctor said, really, I, sorry, I really don't know anything about that exactly. The man was taken back. He said, you don't know. <laughs> I mean, you're an outspoken Christian man and you don't know what's on the other side. At that moment, the doctor was holding the handle of the door, and just about that time, there came a scratching on, and a whining on the other side of the door. The doctor pulled open the door, and as he did, the dog just sprang into the room and just leaped on him. The doctor used that. He said, you know, did you see my dog? Now, he's never been in this particular room before. He really didn't know what was on the inside of the room, on the other side of the door. All he knew was his master was there. And when the door was opened, he sprang in to be with me. And I can tell you, I really don't know exactly what's on the other side. I know what I read, but I can't tell you exactly. But what I can tell you is this. On the other side of that door called death is our master. And there with my master, with my father, it's enough. I'm good with that, and I'm not going to worry about my future. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.